the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I am Seth Leibson. Happy Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. Our phone number is 602-508-0960. Going to do a lot with you uh, today. Abe Hamaday is going to join us in the third hour. I'll also give my monologue in the third hour since it's Monday. We'll check in with Brandon Weikert on a lot of fronts having to do with foreign policy and defense policy. And uh, we're going to hear from a um, candidate for Congress uh, coming up in just a little bit as well here in uh, Arizona. I closed the show last week predicting that for as much, for as many alarms and excursions and as much chatter and yelling as there was about Uvalde and, all, and, the, and the school shooting there, and all that was involved in it and how it, you know, dominated 10 days of conversation, debate, screeching, screaming, tears, the full range of human and political emotions. I, um, I predicted that um, it would be off the radar screen starting this week. I didn't realize it would start Monday. I didn't realize it would be off the screen today. We are now on to the next thing. We always must be. There has to be a ever-flowing cascade and cataract of crisis. Big thesis of mine in this shows, as you know, one we must resist. Just as so many are beginning to wrap their arms around the serious thinking about protecting our children, we're now on to a new thing. Now, you might have thought that you know the much more uh, present crisis is the um, is the fact that uh, is the fact that we have a baby formula shortage in this country. People can't get baby formula, and they can't afford the gas to drive from place to place to look for it, find it, and obtain it. And when they get there, it ain't. You would think that might be something we would settle on. No, there is a crisis mentality. At 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, you know what it is? It's the poll numbers. It's the poll numbers of the president. Big stories today. Politico, Washington Post, elsewhere. Fox News, you can get it anywhere you want almost about how angry Joe Biden is about two things. One, that his polling is now worse than Donald Trump's when he, of course, was supposed to be the corrective to Donald Trump and thought all he had to do was undo everything Donald Trump did to become a successful and a wildly successful president at that. Turns out all of that was wrong. And the second thing is he's now blaming his staff for not keeping him informed on certain issues, including the baby formula crisis. To him, all of this is really about messaging. And so the plan is for him to go out, these stories state, to the rest of the country and give more speeches. No more garrisoned Joe Biden. 
seems to me a fishy story, I have to tell you. This is a president who I don't think has spent more than two. Honestly, I don't think he spent more than two weekends in the White House. They've all been at his uh, Delaware home or Camp David. I, I, I don't think that if he wants to see his poll numbers boosted, to be perfectly honest, hearing him give or I should say screw up more speeches is going to help. I think the more exposure to him, the more problems he will have. Wasn't this the narrative of the campaign? Wasn't this why he campaigned pretty much from his house like William McKinley? Wasn't this why they tried to limit his his appearances? Isn't this why he doesn't give press conferences and take questions? Two narratives are crashing here. Two narratives are crashing. So the Democrats not having much they can hang their hat on right now, including evidently not even getting enough attention for or positive review for their position on what took place in Uvalde, they are going back to a tried and true. What are they going back to? Of all weeks, this week they're going back to January 6th. January 6th. You know what? I should say the full date. January 6th of 2021. Because some people, it seems to me, are a little confused about what's supposed to happen on January 6th, including Adam Schiff. I won't spoil it. I'm going to get into it in my monologue. But for people who want to say they, 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 they tried to stop a peaceful transfer of power on January 6th, which is uh, what Adam Schiff said, they just don't know what they're talking about, or they do, and they're trying to fuddle you. January 6th is never, has never been a transfer of power, peaceful or otherwise, day. It's an electoral college certification day with provisions in federal law for members of Congress to challenge those electoral college certifications. Senator Barbara Boxer, Senator Barbara Boxer, D. California, then famously did it with Ohio in 2004. It's been part of federal law since the 1800s that members of Congress can challenge these electoral college counts. has nothing to do with transfers of power. That takes place on Inauguration Day, which has for at least as long as Adam Schiff has been alive, been on January 20th. So his purpose is to fuddle and to milk. Byron, uh, by the way, the latest news on January 6th, just don't know how they square these circles. Maybe they don't feel they have to. They just throw enough you-know-what at the wall and hope some of it sticks. And when they figure out what sticks, then they'll run with that. I know I'm mixing metaphors, but you know what I'm talking about. Why do I say a lot of this just doesn't fit? Because Nancy Pelosi and others have said January 6th was a white supremacist uprising. CNN, the Justice Department on Monday today charged the head of the Proud Boys, Enrique Tarrio, and four other leaders with seditious conspiracy in the January 6th U.S. Capitol attack, escalating the criminal case against the far-right extremist group. These are the most aggressive charges brought by the Justice Department. 
against the Proud Boys. You would think if it was a white supremacist attack, you'd save your strong stuff for the white supremacists. You would um, think that maybe Enrico Tario doesn't exactly match the profile of a white supremacist. His nationality he lists and considers as Afro-Cuban. Maybe, maybe the L.A. Times could write an editorial titled The Afro-Cuban Face of White Supremacy and attach Enrico Tario's name and picture to that. I'll get into all of this more in my monologue. Stay tuned. We'll do that at the top of the third hour. But to go back to what Byron York was writing, we interrupt the economy month because this was supposed to be economy month to bring you January 6th. As Byron writes, just a few days ago, we were told that June would be economy month when the Biden White House wanted to pivot from whatever it has been doing to spend June commuting, communicating its accomplishments on the economy. But now on June 6th, less than a full week into economy month, we found out that this is January 6th week. House Democrats Committee to Investigate the Capitol Riot will have a primetime hearing on Thursday night, and it's spending the first days of this week trying to build excitement about the findings. Excitement about the findings. How about leveling with us and being honest with us that if you have new findings, you let the American people know rather than building it up like it's some kind of Geraldo Rivera special to discover for the first time on live TV a new vault that was owned by Al Capone. Why, why, why this gamesmanship of building up as if we're about to go to a concert or about to debut a great new movie or blockbuster? If it's as serious as they say and they have new findings, tell it to the American people. Be square and honest with us. That is what they cannot do. My guess is, my guess is they looked at the polling They looked at the economy, the month for which they wanted to uh, tout and celebrate it. They found nothing. They had January 6th hearings on the schedule, and they decided that they were going to redress that up and see what they can get out of that. And as for all these new findings, I'll bet you they're trying to cobble and put them together as we speak. Invent, more likely cobble and recycle. That which we've already known. I think that what we need to know is very well known already. But when you got nothing, go after the Republicans, go after the conservatives, and try and tie the extremists to all of them. That's your Democratic Party. Crisis to ever-cascading crisis. Used to be called the Permanent Revolution. Just that the Democrats wouldn't dare use that phrase these days. But we're on to them. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the good people at Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating and Plumbing. You don't need to worry about the heating right now, goodness knows, but You certainly don't want your air conditioning in disrepair. Cool Touch is the company I've used for all three of those things, my air conditioning, my heating, and my plumbing. I love these guys. Chris Funk and his team are great people. They really are, and they do great work. 17 years in business, Cool Touch has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and has never received a complaint with the ROC. And right now they're offering listeners to this show a free diagnosis 
when any call to inspect your air conditioning. Call Cool Touch at 623-734-1932, 623-734-1932, or visit them at cooltouchac.com. That's cooltouchac.com. You know, during the break, I didn't write anything down. I was just thinking off the top of my head, June 6th is such an interestingly pregnant day with historical significance. Um, D-Day, obviously, the anniversary of D-Day, about which I'll have more to say in my monologue, but of course would welcome any thoughts you have on it, um, any memories. My dad was um, my dad was in World War II, but he was in the Pacific Theater, so he didn't have, as was his brother, so they didn't have the direct stories, obviously, that uh, so many of uh, maybe your parents or grandparents who might have been in the European theater, would have had. Uh, my dad did uh, Okinawa and uh, occupied Hiroshima about a month and a half after the bomb was dropped, believe it or not, fought in the Battle of Okinawa, but didn't, uh, didn't do Normandy. Uh, Normandy, obviously, uh, just a huge turn in the war against uh, those who would blow out all the moral lights. That's June 6th. June 6th is also really one of the first days that forever changed the landscape of the Middle East as a political issue. Uh, June 6, 1967 was the first full day of what is known as the Six-Day War, uh, in which Israel uh, took um, took back uh, the West Bank, Gaza, the Golan Heights, and the Sinai, and uh, has served since that time, has served as uh, the newest whipping boy against Israel in every opportunity someone has had to condemn Israel. All you need to know about that PLO and Palestinian authority and cause against Israel is that, yes, Israel did acquire the West Bank in 1967 as a result of the June War, but the PLO had formed years before that and had targeted Israel for extinction long before that. Uh, 1964, to be exact, three years before the Six-Day War. If the West Bank is what is stopping peace in the Middle East, ask yourselves why the PLO and Yasser Arafat uh, were attacking and forming organizations to attack Israel three years before that. Or ask yourself why there was a war in 1956 to put an end to Israel. Or ask yourself why there was a war in 1948 to wipe Israel off the map when it announced its independence, or ask yourself, even before there was an Israel, why Arabs marched through places like Hebron, yelling, Ibbak al-Yahud, slaughter the Jew, and the pogroms before Israel was even a country and Jews were living there. Anyway, the Six-Day War, uh, June 6th, the very first day of that. Why did I spend so much time on that? Because it also is commensurate with June 6th, 1968. What happened on June 6th, 1968? That was the day Robert F. Kennedy was assassinated by a Palestinian terrorist, constituting what may very well be, the best of my research, the very first Arab terrorist attack on American soil. RFK must die. RFK must be killed. RFK must be assassinated, is what Sirhan Sirhan wrote in his diary. Why? Because of his support for 
Israel. And it was timed to commemorate with the Six-Day War anniversary. Because Robert Kennedy supported Israel, an Arab terrorist killed him. By the way, you may remember the news came out last year that parole board in California was setting to release Sirhan, Sirhan. Whatever happened to that story? Whatever happened to that story? Well, it's not going to happen. Uh, a broken clock having the ability to be right twice a day. Gavin Newsom has the authority as governor to overrule that parole finding, and he has done so. Um, odd family over there, gosh. Um, it, Robert Kennedy Jr., I know a lot of people like to quote him. Be careful uh, with him. If you're, if you're using him, I know a lot of people liked his book on COVID. Uh, that's not the book if you want a book on COVID. Uh, he is not a credible source. He has visited with Sirhan Sirhan. He is one of the few people that thinks Sirhan Sirhan is uh, innocent of killing his father. It has divided the family. Other family members, his siblings, have taken to the op-eds to tell the world why their brother is totally nuts on this. Uh, Sirhan Sirhan confessing to the crime evidently didn't do anything to convince Robert Kennedy, nor did Rosie Greer's prying of the gun out of his hand. Sirhan Sirhan's hand when at the Ambassador Hotel seemed to mean anything to Robert Kennedy. If you want a book on the pandemic... Um, I recommend Pandemia by Alex Berenson. That's a much more credible and serious effort. Uh, Robert Kennedy is not a credible and serious person. Just because someone agrees with you doesn't make them credible or legitimate to use uh, for argument's sake. When you go to argument, when you go to debate, I think we conservatives have to be uh, doubly secure in what we know and what we say and what we argue. We have to be doubly secure because the fact checkers check every single article that we mention. By article, I mean article in a sentence. I mean verb. I mean noun. And um, it's just a whole heck of a lot easier to be a lefty and a liberal. You can be Adam Schiff, let's say, and spout such inaccurate nonsense as January 6th was the first time in American history that we didn't have a peaceful transfer of power. Everything about that sentence he was uttering all weekend is wrong. Everything about it. Everything about it, including that a transfer of power is supposed to take place on January 6th. It isn't. Um, so they will not fact check him. We will. But the mainstream media, the cultural media, they'll just give him a pass. Whoever's interviewing won't even be smart enough to know the difference. They just let them say whatever they want. You submit an op-ed to a newspaper. If you're a conservative, it is going to be fact checked until you either lose hair or your hair turns gray. Liberal, you can say whatever you want. Look at how the Washington Post is handling the nonsense with Taylor Lorenz versus their reporter, political reporter David Weigel. He's been suspended for tweeting a joke, retweeting a joke that he took down. He's been suspended from the Washington Post. Taylor Lorenz, who invites, excuse me, who invents stories, facts, and doesn't seek comment about people she's writing about until she, after she publishes, she's still fully employed there. You have to be on the right side in America to understand how America functions these days. It's not with consistency. Yes, it's with hypocrisy, but only hypocrisy if you happen not to be a lefty liberal Democrat. 602-508-0960. We will be right back.
Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Walter Blackman is a member of our state legislature. He is running for Congress in CD2, Congress, the uh, newly created Congressional District 2. And uh, so many mutual friends have been talking to me about him. I have been uh, watching a lot of his efforts. And uh, when um, they asked to uh, come on and discuss uh, the candidacy and campaign with me, I could not say no. Mr. Blackman, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Hi, thanks for having me. I do appreciate it. You betcha. Um, I'll let you do this. I do this with every first-time uh, uh, guest. Uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, any autobiography or version thereof you'd like, and uh, how you came to be doing what you're doing. Well, thanks. And um, Well, first of all, um, I spent 21 years in the United States Army and uh, active duty, deployed around the world to include Iraq and Afghanistan, and I uh, was awarded the uh, Bronze Star Medal for my actions in uh, Fallujah, Fallujah 2, uh, when we took back that city back in uh, 2004, 2005. Um, after I retired, um, decided uh, to continue to work for our community, and I ran for office in Legislative District 6, um, which is the northeastern part of Arizona, and it's the second largest legislative district in the United States. And... Uh, as an outsider, won uh, that congressional race or that legislative race, and then I uh, ran a second time and then uh, won again, and then um, decided to uh, continue to work for the people in the district after redistricting and decided to run for congressional district two so we can get some real representation, conservative representation. I'm married. I have five children, uh, four boys and one girl and two foster kids. Um, married for uh, going on, uh, just about going to hit 20 years here in a little bit. Uh, married to my sweetheart, who is from Snowflake, Arizona, from where we are at. And um, and that's and that's a little bit about me. I uh, grew up in a military family. My dad served 26 years in the Air Force. My uncle served during the Vietnam War. My grandfather served during World War II. Uh, so we just have a servant's heart family. Well, Mr. Blackman, thank you for that. I actually, if we have time, I'd love to ask you about uh, Fallujah um, uh, and the experience there, but not right yet. Uh, Tomorrow uh, was for uh, what uh, you are going to be reading a proclamation uh, on the floor of the state legislature, and uh, it was forwarded to me. I hope that was okay. Um, I have never seen a proclamation reference my hero. Abraham Lincoln so many times in this uh, relatively short proclamation. You probably quote and mention Abraham Lincoln, uh, oh, at least 12 times. Tell us about this proclamation you plan to put on the floor of the uh, House tomorrow. Well, actually, um, the reason why I quote uh, Abraham Lincoln, as you know, he was the author uh, and hero of the Emancipation Proclamation. And as he was pushing that bill through to free the slaves, he was actually uh, pushing it through to free, to free to free the millions of unborn uh, to come after that. And when we look at um, since Roe v. Wade, 20 million black children have been discriminated against and have lost their equal rights and their equal opportunity uh, because of of abortion, the equal opportunity of life because of abortion. This really speaks to what. Um, uh, President Lincoln was 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 talking about um, not just to free um, Black Americans from bondage of slavery, but to free them and to give them an opportunity to live. And as we see uh, since Roe v. Wade, uh, a lot of Black children have been aborted 
uh, since Roe v. Wade, uh, 20, 20 million have been aborted. That's 20 million lives that are that are that are no longer here. And we're talking about it could have been, it could have been presidents or CEOs or generals or leaders of of industry, teachers, doctors, lawyers, uh, newscasters that that their life was ended because of this direct assault targeted on uh, black mothers and black communities of abortion that's pushed by uh, the other side, the the, uh, the Democrat agenda of uh, Planned Parenthood. Um. Mr. Blackman, let me ask you this question. Uh, Well, actually, we have to take a quick commercial break. You'll stay another segment, uh, if you don't mind, because I wanted to talk to you about, you know, you're doing this. uh, You're doing this proclamation and talking about the issue of abortion as uh, as 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 a black American, as an African-American. And uh, I just I just think that this debate about abortion as the debate about so many issues, including um, fatherlessness. It can't take part without strong voices like yours. And I wanted to see if we might just de- delve a little bit deeper into your perspectives on them and what advice you would give those of us who are not in the African-American community, uh, what advice you would give us in ways we can talk about them that uh, might have as much impact as when you talk about them. Can we get into that when we come back on the other side of this break? Absolutely. I appreciate Absolutely. it. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Walt Blackman. If you want to learn more about him, his website is blackmanforcongress.com. That's blackmanforcongress.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. 602 is the number. We are talking with Walt Blackman, candidate for Congress in Arizona's congressional District 2, he's going to be giving perhaps one of the most eloquent proclamations on the floor of any state legislature tomorrow vis-a-vis the issue of uh, abortion and the rights of unborn life. Uh, Mr. Blackman, you're running for Congress. Uh, This issue of abortion has been uh, obviously on the minds of Americans for a lot of years, but it really took off in a huge way. It accelerated in a huge way with the leak of the Dobbs draft. We'll probably get the final uh, decision in Dobbs in the next couple few weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. What I you know, what is added to that? Also is, of course, the rising violence we're seeing, the school shootings. Uh, Uvalde uh, has been on the minds of a lot of people. And, you know, people like you have stepped up to talk about um, the issues within the African-American community that um, seem to catalyze so much of the problem. Uh, People, I, I don't know if it's fair to say that when we're talking abortion, you can't talk about abortion and not talk about what it is doing and has been deliberately attempting to do in the black community. When you talk about um, issues that, uh, shall we say, energize or fuel violent crime, we're talking a lot about family formation issues. How do you address these to the African-American community? How do you address them to people like myself who aren't in it but want to uh, bleed with it? Well, first of all, all unborn is important. Um, however, just in the, in the black community, as I said prior, 20 million uh, black babies have been aborted and they've been targeted uh, from the uh, Planned Parenthood uh, industry. Uh, now, we need to do a better job within the black community. I often get this question, how can, we, how can folks outside the black community help 
the black community. Only the black community can do that. That means fathers have to be in a home. That means fathers have to be present and not absent. And we have a high rate of absentee fathers um, in, in, in the black community, um, either uh, because uh, they're just not there or, or what have you. Now, my parents uh, were, were together, um, and uh, um, I had that influence in, in my family and my, in my home growing up as a young man. But we need more of that. We need black leaders to really step up and talk about this issue. Um, uh, when we're talking about late-term abortion or infanticide, which is at 70% in the black communities, that's not women's health. That's targeted murder. That's genocide that we are seeing in the black community. And in order for us to get after this and fix this, we have to really hit it hard, as I'm doing, and make sure that we are protecting not only uh, black lives, but all lives um, when we're talking about uh, the topic of abortion. Walt, uh, if I might, uh, talk to me about some of the other issues that are driving some of the other problems in our country, too, especially given the geography where you're going to be running from, uh, where you're running for Congress from. Talk to me a little bit about border security and the problems with the border. Well, border security is a big deal because it's a national issue. We see an overwhelming, overwhelming rate of people crossing the borders, and this is even with Title 42 still uh, intact. We need to protect our borders like we, like we protect our homes. Uh, we, you wouldn't leave your front door open and just allow anyone to come in and stay for an indefinite un, un, un uh, time. Um, we are seeing more drugs of fentanyl come through our borders, and that fentanyl, that drug, is actually making its way up into my district. Uh, just last year we had three kids that died from overdoses from fentanyl. So we need to get a hold and, and take care of the, the situation at the borders. We need to make sure that we are resourcing our law enforcement officers, our sheriff's departments in a way that we can protect our borders and, and making sure that we are empowering governors uh, to activate their national guards to protect uh, our southern borders. If we don't do this, we're going to continue to see a rise in fentanyl. We're going to see a rise in human trafficking. We're going to see a rise in folks just crossing over into the border. Or American taxpayers are going to be on a hook for them. Mr. Blackman, tell me about uh, tell me about the race that looks uh, towards the general election. You will be running against whom, and what are the chances uh, should you be okay. nominated? So, so I'm running against uh, six other six other candidates. Only two of us actually live in the district, um, and that's myself, and that's uh, Mayor Moore, who is. From Williams and him and I are really good friends. Um, and Mr. Christensen, I'm sorry, he lives in Yamapai County, so there's three of us that actually live in the district. Um, the deal is that uh, I've actually pulled out at 59.5% um, in uh, the latest straw poll uh, from Pinal County, uh, and then another 47% uh, pulled out at uh, in Yavapai County um, as leading in the polls uh, to win this race. I'm the front runner, I've been the front runner. Eighty percent of the district um, is my legislative district, which I've worked for the past two terms, and I've worked those issues as water, roads, forestry, uh, making sure that our law enforcement are funded, making sure that our schools are funded, and then, and then ensuring that the border is protected by some of the bills that I've written and, 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 and uh, sponsored uh, this past year. So the district is a unique rural district, which I've uh, come to know and love. And I've represented for the past uh, two years, and 
uh, two terms, and um, I'm actually I'm actually winning this race with a 59.5 uh, percent um, from uh, from a straw poll from our last uh, our last debate. If you go to Congress, what would be your major priorities? Well, first of all, internet infrastructure is important for rural Arizona. If we don't get rural, if we don't get internet infrastructure into rural Arizona to include uh, some of those rural Arizona rural areas that are not in my district, then we're not going to see businesses grow in those areas that will create revenue, create jobs, job development, and then drive people to rural Arizona. So that's number one. And the second thing is forestry management. Up in my area, we see a lot of forest fire forest fires over the, over uh, the past years. We had the tunnel the, the tunnel fire fire. Uh, that took off in Flagstaff and in last year's flyers. We need to be able to manage that. And we do that by uh, um, having or petitioning the federal government uh, to, to allow Arizona to take back some of their land so we can manage that, so we can fight our fires. And then, of course, roads. Roads are always a big deal in Arizona, particularly in rural Arizona, and that's something that I'm going to get after in agriculture. We have a lot of ranchers in uh, rural Arizona that I'm working with and that I plan on continuing to, to grow a relationship and work with when I get to Congress. So we have a lot of different issues than the urban issues that I've been working for the past two terms that I will continue to prioritize when I get to Congress. Well, Mr. Blackman, thank you for your visit with us. Uh, it turned out we had uh, a lot of uh, friends uh, I respect tremendously in common yes, who suggested uh, that I put you on particularly to talk about the proclamation you're going to read on the floor tomorrow it is a uh, masterpiece, and I, uh, I very much, very, very much appreciate uh, your doing it and hope that the rest of the community will pay as much attention as you have given it. If they give it 10% of the attention, we'll be in better shape. Mr. Blackman, thank you for your time here. Thank you, sir. I do appreciate you. Have a great day. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. We have Brandon Weikert coming up. Man, there's a lot on the international front uh, to talk about with Brandon. Not uh, only more news vis-a-vis the Russia-Ukraine war, uh, but also uh, Saudi Arabia and the president, as well as Mexico and the president. By the way, have you noticed the story that the president of Mexico has thumped his nose at the president of the United States? Uh, How many countries and leaders and allies... Uh, does this president intend to isolate maybe as many as he is Americans? Uh, the, again, as I said in the first hour, in the first segment, this is a president and a White House that thinks they have a messaging problem. Um, what was the old line uh, that we learned from uh, that Columbia uh, professor? Uh, the, the medium is the message. Uh, the medium is not the message. The medium now in politics will tout and promote any message this White House wants to disseminate or distribute and will keep quiet anything it does not want to get out. Let's see. Let's see. With Kamala Harris, as far as I know, in California today, let's see what she has to say. Last I heard, she was still the one who was directed to take care of our border. Let's see what she has to say about this migrant caravan flowing up to our border. Have you seen the pictures of this migrant uh, caravan, uh, supposedly numbering anywhere from five to 10,000 people coming up and flowing through the Mexico, the country of Mexico, to try and get into the United States? It's interesting what flags they're carrying. It's interesting. You know what none of them are? None of them are the 
American flag, not a one of them. Will they have anything or will she have anything to say about that? Did you see Elon Musk's tweet uh, today? He said um, there's a test countries can go through if they have a build a wall to keep people in versus if they don't have to build a wall to keep people in. The country you want is the second one. And uh, that's a version, of course, of our walls test as well that we've talked about here before. When there are walls, which way do the people flow? Which way do the people run? Um, and uh, even even uh, when there aren't walls, which way do the people run? Which way do the people flow? But it's a serious problem. And Mr. Blackman was uh, addressing it again. I wish more candidates for Congress would talk about this drug issue. It affects every American now. It affects every single American. If you don't get the drug issue, you're not going to get the violence issue. You're not going to get the family issue. You're not going to get the education issue. You're not going to get the border issue. If you don't get the border issue, you're not going to get the drug issue. You're not going to get all the other issues either. Folks, as Lincoln said, it's all our territory. Brandon Weikert coming right up. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.